0: Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Yes, g'day, welcome to Backchat, you are here, you know where to find us on socials, backchat double underscore, hello at backchatpodcast.com.au is how you get in touch, brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Whippersnapper, Shelter, Bluebet, Margaret River Roasting Co., Leaderville Cameras. I think I got them all at one go. You there, did. nailed it. Well done. Uh, very good. We are joined, of course. Big news here. We don't do big introductions here at Backchat. Anthony Kuda Feetis. Kuda's here. G'day, mate. How are you, boys? Good Kouda. to be here. Thank you oh, for oh. allowing me to come along. Oh, oh mate. We anytime. very much appreciate you. T- you can come in here yeah. whenever you like, Kuda. <laughs> um, you're over here in Perth, Western Australia. Mousy's, Mousy's got you over. You give him a bit of a quick shout out to Mousy. He's, he yeah. looks after the boys, doesn't he? He really does. For many years, when you think about it, I mean, the last couple of days we've
2: been doing uh, handball competitions. I thought they were done and dust but only Mouse can keep them going and uh, (laughs) I had Carl Langdon there hosting the show so for 20 odd years when you think about it but just to see the smiles on the children's faces you forget sometimes I remember as a young kid going along to handball competitions too and you know you always have that dream of playing AFL footy so it's really good that he's getting out there but Mouse has taken me all sorts of places and I must say some of the places in Australia that I never would have been in some of the towns that have just solely got a a football oval and I've just seen some incredible things uh, courtesy of Matt. So he does a great thing for a lot of people
1: and local footy clubs too. Okay, very well good. Yeah, we like that. I love the shout-outs on this show. We're going to get to a bit of your stuff a bit later on, Cooter. <laughs> no but let's get into your career and yourself. So uh, like you, your rap sheet is quite long. You're a premiership player in 1995, Carlton captain. Carlton great, all-Australian player, uh, state-of-origin player, life member, a Hall of Fame inductee into the Australian Footy Hall of Fame. So you can play football. We understand that. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) The the first question we ask every guest on this podcast is, okay, we we heard all that. And we do care, but just telling you, not a big deal. We want to hear your greatest sporting achievement, not on the football field. So you can go anywhere you like. You can go as a youngster. Um, you know, Dan's done some great things on the cricket field. Mm. I mean, Kuda wouldn't have heard about this. We haven't mentioned it for a little no, while. Let haven't. him know what you've done.
0: Um, well, b- behind you, you can see there's a, there's a trophy there with the cricket ball. Um, that ball's given to me after a five for 16 spell in a grand final. Um yeah, bolt leg spin to under twelves. Um well, I was twelve as well. So a young Warney. Yeah, exactly. They did they did tout me as maybe a future Warney for a, for a period of time. Um so that's my greatest sporting achievement. Um not I, in my
1: I know. was an under nine state hurdling champion. Um what else have I done? Oh, I won a few 800 metres. I was an athlete back in the day. I think you were too. Yeah. What's your greatest sporting achievement not on the football field, Cooter?
2: Yeah, no, I was an athlete too, so I had a, a decent uh, junior career. I was a Australian champion high jumper there at one stage, and then I had the uh, Australian record in 110 metre hurdles uh, also, so... <laughs> In the, in the high jump, I was Australian champion until Tim Forsyth came along. Really? Yeah, Dustin Fletcher kind of looking guy, you know, tall and lanky. And <laughs> Didn't he go to the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. He won a bronze medal at the Olympics <laughs> and uh, won a gold medal at the uh, Commonwealth Games. So he beat me. He jumped 216, I jumped 208, so he was a lot better. And yeah, that championship, just before I signed my contract, was one of the last times I competed. I uh, ran 110 metre hurdles and got the Australian record, which... Cole Vanderkop, I don't know if you remember him yeah. indigenous indigenous um, Unbelievable athlete I knew him ever since I was a little young kid But he was two years Older than myself Who held the record For many years In Australia The 110 metre hurdles Which I'm not sure He's probably still got it He was phenomenal And yeah. he got the Olympic final and Finished seven So in the under-17s, I can, I can say that I had a quicker time than Kyle, but I uh, would never know, I could never fulfil that dream because obviously then I chose to play football. So a pretty good junior career, yeah. So, so what was that? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just chopped a couple of Australian records Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in. Just <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> so
1: what's what was the decision like going from athletic? athletics to footy. And like why'd you, why'd you make that?
2: So I still played footy. So at the age of eight, I started football. Um, had uh, the migrant parents who didn't want my brother and I to play, but we, we decided, no, we said that we're going to play. And so age of uh, eight, I started playing football in the winter. Then my older brother, Paul, who was 13 months older than me, uh, took up athletics. So I watched him half a season compete before I finally had the courage to get out there. I was a little bit of a shy kid. And then I started winning events. And then By the time I was in grade five, I was the state high jump champ. And so (laughs) things started to happen pretty quickly, really. And then, uh, yeah, so I mean, I I was a school captain in grade six too, uh, in footy. And uh, we won, we were the best city team, but we came up against the best country team. And they were just like giants to us. And I remember all my teammates looking at me because I was the captain going... Uh, Kuda, have you seen the size of them I said, boys, I think we need to go home, and uh, we didn't <laughs> get close. them. we were just so petrified; they were huge, man. You can imagine coming from the country lifting cattle. You know, us city slickers just <laughs> yeah. riding our bikes around. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a little bit of a difference. So yeah, I had it. Look, I, I loved growing up. Only in I lived in the northern part of Melbourne. It was a, it was a growth area. A lot of migrants in that in that time too, but just a lot of young kids that we hung out together you know, roamed the streets on our bikes, played basketball, cricket and every sport that you could think of around town and we all hung out together. So I had some phenomenal athletes that I grew up with, some really good friends. So that helped me, you know, and um, always tried to hang around the kids that uh, didn't do the wrong things, you know, in the pathway where I wanted to go in terms of sport. So I made sure that I hung out with the right right kids too and, and it all worked out. You sound d- driven from a young age. Yeah. I don't know if I was driven. I was a bit of a lazy, like, kid, you know, I think a lot of things came naturally for me but I was always, the the love of sport was the thing that got me. And so I, st- I stayed away from kids that maybe ventured out, you know, smoking and all those sort of things which I've never done or, or and, uh, you know, I remember one time my best mate started smoking I was like, bye-bye. It was, it was those sort of things. So I'm not so... I was driven maybe competitive. I n- didn't have a lot of confidence. I never thought I always wanted to be an AFL player. I wasn't sure if I had the ability to be able to do it. So, yeah, I had to learn, I guess, along the way to, to, to grow as a, as a kid.
1: So you were drafted in 1990, but you didn't debut until 92. You played in the reserves for 90 and 91. Yeah, so... 50 games in best and Ferris. Well done, Will. Good He's man. not yeah. even reading that, am I? There you go. Right. That's it,
2: yeah. I didn't get drafted. So at the age of 14, where I live was the Calden zone. So just before the draft started, uh, Calder must have obviously sent out letters to maybe a lot of the kids that had a little bit of talent. And so... I, at the age of 14, got the letter from the Carlton Football Club and went down and tried out in their junior development squad. And so we trained once a week for 10 weeks, and if you got in the team, you played off in the school holidays against all the other VFL, AFL clubs then. And so I played two years under-15s before making the Victorian team, and then they invited me down to the under-19s. So I gave away my beloved little football club, went to the under-19s, played like two years, so 38 games, and then Carlton offered me a contract at the end of nineteen ninety for the 91 season, but you're right, Will, I didn't get a game in 91, I uh, played six games in 92, I played eight games in 93, I got dropped halfway through 94, I thought it was the end of my career and then uh, I got picked two weeks later and played on the wing and never looked back from that moment. So it took me a good three and a half years and as much as you look at my accolades, I often say to people, if uh, someone had said halfway through 94 that you were going to win a couple of best and fairest, you're going to win a premiership, uh, all Australian and you're going to make the AFL Hall of Fame, I would have said you are Fool, and uh, anyone else who, you know, if I even said it to I'm sure everyone would have said you're a fool as well. So things change after that. But I, I did win a, a best and fairest playing a full-back in 1992. So that was, I think, the club full almost back, saying, best yeah. best and fairest. Yeah, full-back. There oh you
1: go, Backman can get awards. <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. I played
2: on all sorts of plays back then. <laughs>
1: yeah. What well, was it, uh, like, I guess, holding you back or, you know, that that first part of your career? Was it you? Was it coaches, uh, do you, do you look back and, you know, given that you, you almost played 300 games of AFL football and you do everything you've done, what was it in yeah, that time? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I was a bit of a lazy kid and David Parkin
2: probably didn't see maybe my ability or didn't maybe understand how to utilise, the you know, my abilities. Um, I played in every position and so I was a little bit like, you know, full-back, uh, played in the rucks and I forward, like, every position you can think of on the ground I played. And, uh, yeah, so I think David Parkin... Oh, I'm not sure if you really like me, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I remember there was one game, I spoke about it on open mic, and uh, one game I was, I was on the bench and Andrew McKay came off with a blood rule. It might have been 93 or 94, and um, I literally just ran on the ground. And the runner came out a minute later and said, Kuda Parker, and it's David Parker, wants to know if you want to play today. You know, like I literally just ran on the field and I was like, internally crying really I was thinking mate if I could just dig a hole and bury myself I actually would like I was just there thinking you know what is it that he wants from me If if he communicates and tells me what it is I'll try my best to you know do it and so I was a little bit like a confused kid and uh, emotionally, you know, hurt a little. And I think I always needed a coach to put their arm around me and say, I believe in you. And then i would probably produce my best footy. So it was a little, look, really tough times and difficult times. I went through a lot of emotions. And sometimes I forget because at the end of my career, people look at me and go, you know, wow, or whatever. But during that time, it was difficult. I don't have any grudges against um, David Park. I really love him now. And I I think we started to understand each other later on when I lost my father in 1980. He became... A bit of a mentor for me then, but um, I, I guess a lot of kids maybe lose their way through the system of AFL if uh, you know a coach doesn't see maybe some of their uh, attributes that you know can can help them pursue their and uh, get the most out of their
1: career. Was it, Was there something that specifically changed? Like was that was, was was it just growth? Was it? Do you look back at the time <laughs> and think? Because uh, I no, <laughs> I certainly didn't end up with a career like Cooters But at the start of my career I was in and out of the team And pretty much yeah. my whole career really But I do look back at times I was dropped And um, it was adversity that I had to deal with as a person And it made me stronger yeah. Yeah, Yes, it was bad at the time But was there a moment that it sort of clicked for you? Like a clicking point? Yeah, oh, that's, that's a great question Because when when I got dropped in 94 The club like sat me
2: down and David Parkin was there And said, um, do you want to go and see a sports psychologist? And I said, yeah, whatever it takes for me to play senior footy I'm willing to do so. I went to go and see a guy, his name was Anthony Stewart, and uh, he was really life changing for me. I must be, I must tell you the truth. Uh, he, he said, Could you got to get a diary? I never got a diary. I remember, I remember my brother Paul in high school, he'd be like, You've got to have a diary, if You've got to have a diary. I'm like, ah, mate, Don't worry about the diary, I don't need it. Well, <laughs> at that point in there, 94, it hit me then. I needed a diary, and I bought the diary, and uh, every day I would write what I had to do because, you know, as a footballer and we part time back then, the day could easily slip away with you not doing much, you know, you sleep in, you get into bad habits, and it reflects on the footy field, and so bought the diary. He I couldn't swim then too, he was like, you've got to get the swimming pool, you know, all these things I started, and every day I had to like start ticking them off, so I started to accomplish little goals, and although they were small, maybe not so meaningful, but meant a lot at the end, Um, and then things started to change and he made me write these words on my diary and highlight it every single day. I can, I will, you just watch me. So every day I can, I will, you just watch me. I go to training, I can, I will, you just watch me. And he made me focus on three things of training, whether it was marking, being physical, running hard or those sort of things. So I went there with sort of a little goal every time I went to training. And that's when I got picked. Two weeks later, and uh, maybe because I went to see a sports psychologist, they said maybe we'll give him a chance. I don't know. Mm. I'd almost given up, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. and so luckily I didn't because that day there, yeah, it, it started, and from there everything just really you know exploded very quickly.
0: With um, you mentioning uh, David Park and sort of his role early on in your career, I did read something that, um, he watched you um pick up the ball one handed, mm. and you started getting involved in the footy, like doing things that um. You know, not many people are doing. And and he said that um he said to you something like, I've been waiting twenty years for someone to do that. Yeah. Um that's so thing that's a, that's um uh, We, we interesting might look thing.
1: silly over here at Back Chat, but we do, do <laughs> it pretty good, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting good.
0: thing that if early on he was like not sold on you, but then he's seen something in you that he's been, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: My brother Paul in grade six got a letter from his school teacher and had to cooter the only kid to pick up the football one hand. So uh, I think my brother and I must have played like that our entire career without realizing in the under 19s a and my brother did it once at training and our coach was Ross Henshaw. who he was a premiership player in North Melbourne back in the 70s a madman like he was scary <laughs> dude man <laughs> he was your coach <laughs> he was our coach under 19s and uh oh, my god was i scared of him and uh <laughs> so my brother picked up the ball one hand and he brought everyone in and he, his thing was man, he goes if i see uh if i see Cuda, if I see you pick up the ball with one hand again, Kuda, or anyone else here, you won't be at this football club, so he was totally against it, and uh, I played my, my footy that way, and uh, yeah, in 1992 it was, uh, it was against Collingwood, the team that I played for as a young kid, Jamie Turner was next to me, and I sort of just held him off, and I just grabbed the ball one hand. Got onto my foot, kicked it down. Tom Alvin marked it. He, he went on to John Dorritage and whatever. We may have kicked the goal. And uh, everyone was starting to speak about it. And uh, even Stephen Gough, who was our CEO, who then became the CEO of the MCG for many years, he, he often talks about it. Like at the last AFL Hall of Fame, he said, Cooter, we're all sitting there. And you've ran past. You've just grabbed this ball with one hand and you've kicked it down. And everyone in the crowd just looked at each other and went, did he just pick up the ball one hand just then? So was it become a little bit of a cult thing? Do, do you have big hands? No, I don't really. know. I like I don't know. Like, they're okay, but I've seen I've seen guys with that's, bigger no, hands. No, there's like, some myths. They're pretty big <laughs> hands. Pretty yeah. So oh, what, what I've they, seen bigger. Yeah. What did it come from then?
0: Is that was that just instinct or was it know. cricket or like I don't know? What's the? We
2: were never really allowed to watch the highlights at home of footy. Mum was always you know against it. So it was that one hour block on a Saturday night? We're like, Mum, can we watch? He's like, No, no. We're like, Come on, please. So. <laughs> We never could afford a footy, and uh, I don't know. Like we, we had this small footy. I, I'm not sure if that was the reason. I, I'll never know. But we just learned. I remember my father used to play basketball, so he says he was good back in back in the days of <laughs> Egypt. But um I would never know. But he'd always say, just you know, grab the ball
1: one hand, one hand. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It just sort of evolved that way. So, um I mean, we know sort of you know how, how your career plays out, but to. Well, how do you look back? Were you a backman? Were you a forward? Were you a wingman? Were you a ruckman? Were you a midfield?
2: What were you? As a uh, teenager growing up, I was a ruckman. Every yes. game that I played, even uh, the under-15 school boys that I represented Victoria, <laughs> although I was on, I was emergency and bench playing mainly in all the last two games, and I rucked against Glenn Jakovich, who was a man-mountain. Still is. Yeah, still is, yeah. And then uh, under-17's Tilt Cup, I started in the ruck and then went to centre-half back and made the All-Australian centre-half back. Um, but I, I could ruck too, but we had guys, maybe they just needed me to fill that spot of centre-half back. So I was pretty much... A ruckman, and played a little bit of forward uh, in my junior footy career because of my high jump ability. It didn't matter if the guys were taller than me; I, I could, I could jump back then.
1: Yes, you're Australian record holder.
2: Yeah. No, not in the high jump. Oh,
1: that was a hurdle. Sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah, just, no, that, yeah. sorry just national champion. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, I
2: had the Victorian records. Yeah, I had a few then. <laughs> sorry, mate.
1: Yeah, There's yeah, <laughs> still that. some around anyway. Now I forgot to do this off the top, Kudo, but we, we have run into each other a couple of times, but. I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to show you a photo, and I'll just—I'm not going to really introduce it, and I'll just show you it, and we'll. Hawaii, yeah, <laughs> Hawaii. No, I Remember that, of course. How could I not remember that? Yeah, <laughs> Dan, just have a look at this one. Oh, so yes. uh, we have bumped into each other one or two more times. But I was going to say the last time we saw each other was on Honolulu yeah. Beach, Waikiki <laughs> Beach, sorry, I should say, on my bucks party. So. This photo, which we'll chuck up on socials, there's, I don't know, 20, 20 blokes. Xavier Ellis is in there. Matt Rose is in there. Matt Spanger's is in there. There's a few AFL players, a few premiership players in there. Yeah. Um... We've run into Kuta on Waikiki Beach. And we're, this was probably not that early. I'm um, late, to be honest. It was pr- almost before midday. And we'd had a few drinks, Kuta. And, I mean, Kuta, we're all 90s footy fans. You are our god. And it, just, it was like a moment in time. It was like, of course Kuta's at Waikiki Beach. Just hanging out. We've got the best photo ever. All the boys hanging off Kuta. And a few few, few blokes had their tops off. So did Kuta. And um, let's just say Kuta, who was you know 10 to 15 years there, elder, Put them to absolute shame. They were currently <laughs> listed AFL <Yeah>. players. <laughs> it looked like Kuda could have gone about it. So you do remember that. That's yeah, good.
2: do, and no, of course, mate, it was a very funny moment. Just laying down on the beach with
1: the family, mate. There's the Eagles boys there. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, we caused a little bit of attention that day. At the did. oh, There's only one boat going out, and uh, my wife and her uh, hen's party had booked uh, a boat as well. But only one went out, and so basically the two groups had a fight. The, the girls and the guys who got to take the boat out. Blokes got the boat. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> Uh, First kick, first goal club is something that we've had a few players on this uh, podcast. You are not a member. You are the member of second kick, first goal club. That could be even more exclusive than the first (laughs) kick, first goal club. Do you remember kicking your first goal? I do. Now, I got smothered just before that. Was that the first kick or did I have one? That was the first kick was the smother. So
0: your first kick was the smother. So I wasn't sure um, if if you were lining up or if you were going for goal, got smothered, pick up and go again
2: i'm not sure what i was doing either but <laughs> all i know is that when it got smothered somehow it bounced back to me and <laughs> snapped it through for a goal there at princess park and no better stadium on the entire planet i would tell you oh. you never will unfortunately didn't play there did you uh, as a junior i did actually oh you did yeah okay yeah but not senior no. footy so yeah twenty thousand people there was would be like playing in front of one hundred thousand at the mcg mad it was crazy but behind the uh the, the John Heatley stand, that... Wh- that Why? Era. Why was it crazy? Just the the, the fanatical Cullen supporters. It was, just the, it was an energy and vibe of that place there like no other. So, you know, we were renowned. The Mosquito Fleet back in the 80s, but, you know, the Cullen Football Club in the third quarter, many occasions, you know, that 10-goal uh, th- third quarter that they would do in particular down the John Heatley stand and everyone just go crazy. So there was just phenomenal times. And I think everyone that was... Um, That went along back in the day never forgets because I get reminded often the best days ever of their entire life was the Princess Park days. It was a local footy club there and uh, yeah, just so many great memories.
1: You played in an incredible era of the footy club, right? Like with some great players like Silvani, Kernahan, Bradley, um, Williams, Williams, and Chris Do. I'm going to chuck him in there. Like there's some unbelievable players. Um, Lose the grand final in '93. You're not up for selection then? I mean, you're not in the team? Emergency. Yep. I'm going to come back on that. Yeah. Win 95. Yeah. Uh, lose 99. Um, is it, you know, three grand finals over that era, do you, do you think it, it's underachieved? Yeah. he's won enough? Should you have won more? Underachieved, 100%. Yeah. Um, 93.
2: Were we ready? I don't know. Like, the baby bombers were good on the day, in particular, prelim final. And uh, we had close battles with them, but they deserved it on that day. They were phenomenal. And then come 94, we were on top of the ladder. We actually uh, beat West Coast Eagles at Princes Park by about 11 goals. 10, 11 goals. We, we smashed them. Yep. They won that year, of course. Then the next week we played Richmond. We won. The last round we lost to Essendon. So we finished second on the ladder. Then we played Melbourne, who was seventh. So back then it was first play eighth, second play seventh. A bit different right. than our days. We lost to Melbourne in the first week. Then we come up against Shalong, who were missing four of their – Elite players on that day, so we thought we got a chance. We got belted, so we went out in straight sets there. Ninety-five. We knew that you know the the window, the opportunity. Some of the you know aging superstars that we had that we didn't have long to go, and somehow put it all together. I only lost two games for the entire year. Wow! It was uh, to the two bottom teams, believe it or not, to the two bottom teams, <laughs> and not just like we actually got belted. So yeah, it's well, it's really unusual, isn't, isn't yeah. it? Like, and then we somehow got it all together. And went through and uh, won the grand final. And then uh, 99, we didn't deserve really to be there. Um, Essendon were the best team that year, but we just had that game in the prelim final where we beat Essendon by one point. They were pretty much the unbeatables, but we just uh, got over the line. Yes. And then year 2000, we won 13 games in a row and Essendon were pretty much undefeated. They only lost one game, so they beat our record that year. <laughs> we came up against them. We just lost to Bulldogs just before we played Essendon. And then Bulldogs were the team that beat Essendon, were the only team. And we lost by, I think, I think three points. So they stopped our 13 games in a row. Essendon, we we came up against them. It was 90-odd thousand people in the home-and-away game because they were on top, we were second. And I did my knee in the first quarter. Jason Johnson ran across. Yeah. And I did my PCL, so I was out. And I think Braddles got injured. We only lost by 20-odd points. But I couldn't come back for the rest of the season. So... Melbourne got to the grand final. We beat Melbourne by 99 points that year, and they got the grand final. So it was a pretty easy win for us. And I always look back. We got them in '99. They got me uh, in year 2000. I always think, you know, what could have been Carlton Essendon Grand Final in year 2000 with us at our best and Essendon at their best? And not to say that we would have beaten them because they were truly the best team that year, but you just never know. With the doubts of maybe 99, maybe we might have been a better finals team and play, uh, uh, played the way, the way that we played. I'll never know. And 2001 was the same thing. Second week of the final, I did my knee, did my ACL. In the first week of the final, we played against Adelaide. Everyone's like, uh, we better, better be careful with Carlton in this sort of form. Like... And um, yeah, I did my knee, and uh, I think Soss did his hamstring that day, and we just the injuries just got us. And Brisbane uh, Lions won that year, and we were the last team to really belt them at Princess Park. We, it was probably round eight, I reckon it was, where we beat them by 10 or 11 goals, and then they just lost to Adelaide,
1: and then I don't think they lost a single game after that, so they improved dramatically. So, I do want to come back to 93, but 2,000 while we're on it. Um, <coughs> so that was... Uh, one of, if, if not your best season in your career, you're leading the Brownlow. Um, or was that 99? No, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. You're leading the Brownlow with three or four rounds to go, and you hurt your knee, um, and you end up, you know, not making the grand final in that year. Uh, Adrian Hickmott was a coach of mine at West Coast, and he he used that year, um, as as motivation, I guess, for us in 2015. Um, we lost our two key defenders to ACLs. Uh, Eric McKenzie and Mitch Brown did the ACLs. One did it in the last pre-season game and then one did it in round one. And basically it was myself and Jeremy McGovern were the only two tall key defenders left on the list. And I remember sitting in a room and he told the story about you doing, you know, and um, a collective kind of dropping of emotion at Carlton because you were the kind of the, you know, the, the, the big dog, right? And, and he, he did say that, Carlton kind of dropped dropped their bundle a little bit and he used you as an example of a little bit of you guys need to not do that. You guys need to, you know, we've lost two of our great players but we can do it. And Mm. although it was probably a bad example for Carlton, it was a great example for us because it meant that we uh, kind of lifted to a new level and took on responsibility and and it also happened at the start of the year, not coming into finals. Is that all sort of reflective of what happened? The dropping of the bundle a little bit? feeling yeah, that you were, you know, probably the best player at the time.
2: Yeah, because year two thousand. Yeah, I, I, know, I got quite a few best on grounds in a row, but I don't think I was leading the brownlow when I got injured, so I didn't get the three votes in a lot of the games that I thought maybe I. I could have or should, you know, you yeah, were, should have. Yeah, should have, yeah. I think you were drawn at 19 was with – yeah, um, maybe.
0: At 19 votes with a, with a few rounds to go. Yeah. yeah right I, up there.
2: Yeah, but I, I knew going along and I'm thinking, I didn't get a vote that game. What's going on there? And I uh, won oh, vote that game. I thought I was pretty good. So I knew <laughs> I was in trouble because the season was coming to a close. But – You're right, Will. I think the, the, the club maybe and the team maybe relied on me so much that when I got injured it would have really been deflated. It was just the timing of it both times in the finals and even 2001 I really found good form towards the end of that season and just as I was up and going... I uh, did my knee against Richmond where I tried to kick the ball off the ground and Matty Knights came across. It was Adrian Hickman that pushed him <laughs> and pushed Matty Knights. And my knee just – oh, I just heard it just a clink and it was the most painful uh, injury I've ever felt for the first minute or so. And then the pain went away and, yeah, that was the enemy. So it's all all that timing. And that's the thing. We'll never know whether, how far we could have gone because it, we got those injuries towards the end, end of the season. So it's very tough on the club. And then 2002 – and Wayne Britton, to me, was the greatest coach – I've ever played under I loved him dearly And Baron Mitchell Was my greatest influence Them two there But um, 2002 He had so many injuries I reckon six of our Top ten players Were injured that year And You know We finished on the bottom Of the ladder And then Obviously then they You know Got rid of Wayne Britain. But that was a A big mistake By the club
1: Back on 93 So your emergency For the Grand final What's What's that Feeling like Not good
2: No <laughs> No nah, nah, It wasn't good I uh yeah, I remember training, and uh, I thought I was playing good finals footy, and I thought maybe i got a chance, but uh, I don't know, Every everyone in the match committee came up to me and said, I voted for you. I said, you, not everyone could have, because I didn't get in the team, you know? <laughs> Who was it, Parkham? Yeah, it? Not, I don't think Parker really spoke to me back then, so I don't <laughs> think, apart from Parker, everyone else, <laughs> so I don't know, but I, I watched from, you know, an and Andrew, Angel's playing, and Angela's one of my great mates, and... Uh, I was envious of him because I, I didn't want to see him play, you know, play off in a playoff in a grand final, me sitting in the grandstands or so. It was a little bit of a, it hurt, it hurt to be there watching.
1: Motivating hurt? Yeah. As in, the, 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 the saying goes, lose one to win one, which every time I say it, say, oh, it doesn't <coughs> mean it. But like, it's, it's remarkable how many sides have lost a grand final before they've gone and won one. Yeah. Was that motivating for you and for the group, 93, for 95?
2: Yeah, I think so. But 94 was the one that really hit us because we thought we were, you know, maybe with West Coast Eagles, maybe the two best teams of the year and we didn't even, you know, get past the second round of the final. So I think a combination of both uh, inspired us uh, to, uh, yeah, have the season that we did in 95 and get it all together.
1: Um, Let's go forward a little bit. uh, 2000. You're having a good year, as we spoke about. Um, Wayne Carey, another legend of the game. So you, you were playing a bit in the midfield that year, and you, you were, which was rare, given your size, given your shape. Um, people describe you as the prototype modern footballer. But back in the day, you know, players of your size didn't used to do that. But this day in particular, Wayne Carey came and manned you up in the middle. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was uh, when we played North Melbourne. So a lot of the
2: games in that year, 2000, I'd start a centre-half back and then into the second quarter, that would go right in the midfield, now you go, and uh, like Sydney, I had 39 and 14 marks, but I started a centre-half back and then went into the midfield. So that particular day against North Melbourne, we had never beaten North Melbourne since the prelim final of 95, and so that was a big, like, that inspired me that day to get out there, and I knew, because they, they were hard and tough, I thought, no, nah, this is going to be a beauty today at Princess Park. Yes. And so I was uh, fired up for that game, there's no doubt about that, and... Uh, yeah, the duck came into me uh, into the midfield. I, was it at the start of the game? Or maybe at the start, but they must have moved him relatively quickly. And then I had your coach, uh, your ex-coach, there, Adam Simpson, who came on to me. So yeah, I had a big, big game. I had thirty-eight and kicked five that day, and we we got over the line by maybe four or five goals against the kangaroos. So that was like a bit of us, like saying, you know, this is a, this is the new team here now. and This is a new belief in our in our in our team, and. Uh, Unfortunately, we didn't go as far as what we would have liked, but it was like the growth that, that was the, the growing of our, our team then. So, not even the king could stop you 38 and five goals. Well, I, look, I didn't play on him at enough back, you know, in his domain. I often say that because Richo was my toughest opponent, but I often say, well, Richo never came to me in the midfield. might have been a bit different, but <laughs> I, I couldn't stop him the two times that I played him in, in defence. I felt like he was a better athlete than myself. He had both endurance and speed. I. Had speed but not great endurance, and so he could just blow me up with his, with his speed. So uh, I'm not going to say you know I, you know I beat the king or whatever. No, but he did. He came on that day, but he came into my domain. <laughs> I never went to his domain, so it might have been a different story oh, if I can, did. We can hear who's sitting on the throne,
1: mate. Don't <laughs> worry, <laughs> yeah. Coon is up there with his crown on. Uh, yeah. uh, what What about? Um,
0: and uh, we'll we'll just say the 38 disposals and five goals. Only two people in AFL history have done
1: that. Uh, who's the other one?
0: Uh, St Kilda player from twenty ten, I think it was.
1: Oh really? Not She's Nick Reap. No, I've like, never heard of him. Charlie, do you mind. want to have a little look for that? <laughs> have a look for that place, Charlie. That'd be great. <laughs> Very good. Um, I want to ask about from my recollection as a as like a footy fan, you're you're the first million dollar player. Is that right? First no, million I never got dollar contract. Got
2: it. So I was there was said to be, but yeah. I never did get that. What yeah. do you mean you didn't get it? I never never got the million dollar. Well, so that, the, that wasn't the deal? That wasn't the deal, no, no, That wasn't so,
1: the deal, yeah. But that was what was sprouted, right? Yeah, correct, was yeah. So I had that dollars a year. Yes, I had that uh,
2: come with me everywhere I went, and uh, later on had to take a pay cut as well, you know, during the more difficult times, so they said the club. So, yeah, never, it was never fulfilled, but there was a lot of back-ended contract. It was a little bit not as uh, probably clear as what people think, but the, obviously the club and manager... Knew exactly what was going on.
1: Is that is that the, the trouble you say the club is that around the salary cap stuff? You know, two thousand. Yeah,
2: I think a lot of that contract there. So the previous years uh, it was sort back ended and pushed forward. Um, all because of that last three years of my my career would my income would go into the veterans list. So then only half would have to go into the salary cap. So it was all based around that. But when the new C, uh, president came in. He just said, no, nah, that's not going to happen. It's all going to be in the salary cap and, and that's it. So it's sort of, you know, they just did whatever they wanted to do, basically. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's what happens in footy clubs. You don't sit around talking <coughs> about salaries to each other or no one really knows what everyone's on. But when that club, when the club is going through the salary cap issues at, in 2002, what's that like as a player? Oh, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, that's something you don't even
2: really want to even talk about? I mean, you negotiate... Yourselves with your manager and the club, and we move on, man. Like whoever gets the contracts, they do it. I mean, when yeah. I started on seven thousand eight hundred dollars, and you know, no one's going to say, well, oh, let's give them a pay increase." And then, when you play off in a grand final, and uh, you know, you sell a lot of merch in the shop, and you're only on maybe eighty thousand or seventy thousand for the year, no one says anything about that. But then, you know, another club came in and offered me a massive contract in 1996 I didn't take it because I wanted to stay Carlton yeah. because I love the club. And then, yes, later on, my contract grew. And, uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. I mean, half of my career, I, I earned phenomenal m- money, you know. The first half, not not as good, but that's the way it is. And I don't have any regrets. I love the club. When I first started, it wasn't about money. It was about fulfilling my dream. And when I seen $7,800, it was like I knew it wasn't a lot of money. It's $150 a week to go and do fifty one hundreds and get punished by the club, you know, and get tortured <laughs> and play in the reserves, uh, you know, all year and uh, put up with a lot of stuff. But it was about fulfilling my dream. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to eventually eventuate later on. But, and uh, yeah, that, that's what happened. Yeah. Speaking of,
0: sorry, fulfilling your dream, uh, you got to play for, for Carlton, but you were a, a Collingwood fan mm. growing up. So how did that feel? Because they were, were they
2: sort of rivals at the time? Massive. That's yeah. tough. That was the biggest rivalry. Carlton Collingwood. Everyone in my area, was. I thought it was the only two teams in the AFL <laughs> because everyone going <barred> for <laughs> Collingwood and Carlton. I, I don't recall many other clubs in the, in that time and um when i got the letter at the age of 14 and uh, had the carlton football club emblem on the envelope i'll be honest i was disappointed because i wanted the magpie because <laughs> i love collingwood my first uh, local team i played for was east thomastown they were black and white my brother paul who was older than me uh, uh he buried for carlton and uh, every year he'd be cheering and i'd be crying because carlton was so dominant you know <laughs> so uh look uh when I was still barricading for Collingwood 1990, so although I was affiliated with uh, Carlton Football Club, I still celebrated their victory. Because 1980, when Richmond thumbed Collingwood by halftime, I was crying. And then yeah, 1990, I'm there you know, celebrating uh, the victory. But then come 1992, when we played against Collingwood, round 21, that was the day I picked up with the ball one hand, and we lost to Collingwood. All my mates were just giving it to me all night. <laughs> oh, mate, Carlton, this and that. From that point onwards, bang, that was it. The dislike for Collingwood and uh, always have (laughs) ever since. Wow. Yeah. Still to this day? Still to this day. How good. Yeah. So sometimes I think when I see that Collingwood jumper, it brings back memories of how good it felt when I was younger, like putting it on, that black and white. But then there's something that, you know I mean? It's just that hate. It's not, it's respect because they're a wonderful club and I want them to actually do well and Carlton because it's really good for the AFL. But it's just that hatred of that rivalry that we had for so long there between Collingwood. and Carlton. It's not the same now. This year I reckon we got a little bit of a
1: glimpse of it, but it wasn't like when I first started. It was massive. You must love uh, what's happening at the footy club now. Like They played mm. here uh, not too long ago because I'm not sure when we'll uh, air this episode, but... Um, Charlie Kernow, Harry Mackay, what they've done in the midfield with Walsh and Cripps and they've got a back line now even though they've gone through some injuries and mm. Michael Voss coaching. Like it really seems like the club's going in the right direction.
2: Yeah, they are. It's probably the first time I wish I was playing again because they're playing with some really exciting footy and to see the two twin towers up in the foreline doing what they're doing. And when you think that Charlie's missed, is it two or two and a half yeah. years of footy and to come back and see the way that he's playing now, you, you know that... He's got more to give. It's like playing like an absolute champion now, but he, he could potentially raise another five or ten percent of where he is. I don't know where that takes him, you know. Mm-hmm. And Harry Mackay's got a lot more to give too, and Cribb has just been an outstanding leader at that football club, led through very difficult times and just shows the maturity of of him and mate, I stand next to him is like you, Will. Like are you would yeah, you be about? Yeah, ridiculous. So I look at him and think, wow, you know, a well, How tall are you? One ninety, 190, one ninety one. So I think I I don't know if I've shrunk, that uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, well, I'd still probably jump on their heads. We'll so be careful what you say, there, mate. <laughs> yeah, correct, absolutely correct. So, talking about that
1: leadership element, you've yeah. been in that, you've been, you've had that jumper on, right? Captain of the Carlton Football Club, uh, the rivalry, the the Collingwood Carlton stuff. Does does being a captain change you as a player? Uh well, look. For me, it was an honour because I started thinking,
2: wow, I walked in when I was 14. There I am at 31, finally captain of the football club. But it was during a very difficult time. It was a really dark time there at the football club. I got to experience the last 12 years of this most incredible football club and their culture. So when I walked in 91 until the end of 2002, it was the most inviting football club. It was a family environment. And that's what Janet, John Elliott, who I thought was the greatest president of that football club by far, he created that family environment. I remember when I first walked in the corridors for the first time and I look at the 200 game players as I walked down the corner and I walked out there, I learned very quickly what the culture was all about at Carlton Football Club. It wasn't about winning home and away games, it was about winning premierships. And, and John Elliott instilled that into us. And he was like, if you want to be remembered, basically what he's saying, you've got to win premierships here at that football club. And so I came through that era and uh, knew everyone that worked at the club. It was just a great time to be around. And then all of a sudden, the next, that, when, John Elliott leaves, uh, the next five years was the complete opposite of what the first 12 years was. And so, hence the reason why we didn't have a lot of success. And uh, so, although I captained and it was an honour, like it was an honour to be the captain of the last game at Princess Park. And that's one of my favourite memories of my career, to hold the ball up for the last time at my favourite Oval and many, many people's favourite Oval. So, it was an honour, but it was a very difficult time too because, uh, you know, me as an ageing player... Of this football club that I love so dearly, all I wanted to do was play finals footy. But uh, the way that we were travelling, I could not see any light at the end of the tunnel, and I dare say, if it continued in that sort of way, it would have been the same thing. So, they, look, the club struggled for many, many years, but those five years there were very difficult to go through, and uh, it wasn't a fun time of my career. Did you finish because of that, like, or was it physical, or was no, it both? Physical, yeah. mental. Yeah, yeah, I was. I, I was gone. It was like old school training in those last five years, which. Didn't help. It was like we reverted back to the early nineties, and um, yeah. And uh, when you're not winning every week, we we live. You know what it's like. We we live our life on how we're playing and whether we're winning or losing. And when you're winning and playing good, your life. You know, you're on top of the world. And when you're not, it's it's that it's the opposite of that. And that's what it was. So look at the end, my body. You know, physically, and mentally, it was a very tough five years. I, I was gone. You know, and could I have gone on if it was a different? You know, it's you know, coaching regime and maybe different um board May- maybe but who knows you know but I was gone and uh yeah i basically put up the white flag at the end yeah once you had
0: finished up and you had some time away was there a part of you that was sort of like could i you know get back into it or were you like once you would you were done you knew that you were well and truly gone i think i needed that year
2: off definitely i <laughs> think after the five years of what i went through but then i tried to get back into the club in uh the end the start of 2009 really it would have been so at the end of 2008 but uh yeah, I don't know. There was no nothing there, no doors open there for me, and so I had to move on. So I offered the you know help for nothing, you know, at that time as well, just to give back because the club gave me so much throughout my time, and I wanted to give back and stay in tune with the game of footy, the game that I've loved ever since I was a young kid. But there was no option there for me, so uh, I think it maybe internally maybe hurt a little, uh, of course, because you know when you spend so much time and you stay loyal to the football club when you had opportunities to move, but I guess. Uh, you live and learn, don't you? And you talk about loyalty now and, and maybe if you turn back time you, at the end of the day, you know, you've know got to look after yourself, really. Now, that's how that's I correct. see it because, you know, when someone that gave, up, walked in when I was 14, left when I was 34 and you get that sort of thing at the end, you go,
1: oh, wow, maybe life's a little bit different to the way that I thought it was. Yeah, well, it's true. That's how it goes. Who was the club? <coughs> who was the club? <coughs> Excuse me. Who who was the club that put the big off? Who, who was trying to get you?
2: Oh... Back, back in the day yeah. Oh when Port Adelaide came in They were the ones that came Yeah, with yeah the right. big Marquee players. Who, of we, who thing. we speak Dustin yeah, Fletcher
1: God. They came for Dustin Fletcher yeah, as well. had him sitting here Three weeks ago Saying so right. Port Adelaide Were chasing him Oh chasing him too yes, oh, they so, Fletcher, Yeah, they would have had Dustin Fletcher feeding Wanganeen They got Gav yeah. So, yeah, they
0: Wasn't I saying before. I feel like Port Adelaide Are always the team That are going after these people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Must be something about Could you
2: have
1: lived in Adelaide Probably not For the money that they're offered Maybe now In hindsight yeah It probably would have been A better move But what about uh, your number? I've been leaving this for damn, but I've, I can wait no longer. You, you, you play with 43 your yeah. whole career. I mean, there are many that have come before you that they get given 43 when they walk through the door, and the first opportunity, especially when they're a good player, they want number one or number yeah. seven or they want the low. 43 never changed. I, I think that was
2: the view of the club that I wasn't a good player. So <laughs> they just gave me 43. I think in 91 I was 46 and they upgraded me to 43. I stayed with that number because my mum was born in 1943, so it meant something to me. Nice. And so I did always stay with that. Uh, and I got asked later on if I wanted to go to a lower number, and I said, no, no, no. I loved it. The 43, it was kind of like two big numbers. They sort of stood out on your back, you know, for whatever reason. So I enjoyed it, the number
1: 43. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, you're speaking about... Uh, well, you got to look after yourself. I com- couldn't not agree with that more. You know, when, when you when you do finish at a football club, again, not comparing my career to yours, but I was a one club player. Um, you know, they've got the next season to prepare for as well. So you do have to look after yourself in the game. So when you see guys signing these big contracts these days, and and they they cop a bit of criticism for it, it's not the players. Just let let the players go. Let them. You know, they're not the ones putting the contracts in front of the players. So I agree with you on that um, element on the contract side of things. Um, Nike and Adidas. So, who was sponsored by Nike and who was sponsored by Adidas? Carlton
2: <laughs> were with Adidas for maybe 20 odd years yes. and the new marketing team came in and I think the deal was if they, any new sponsors they got, so there was a little bit of uh, unsureness, that any new sponsors that they got, uh, they would get a certain percentage out of it. So, what no easier way to do is to maybe approach Nike and say, Nike, do you want to come to the club? and Nike agreed to come over to the club and uh Carlton assured them that they would get every player on the list but uh not sure if they realized that I was still sponsored by Adidas so the battle began and there was a little bit like let's it was time to stand up to the bully and um, yeah we are going it was a it was a difficult time because I would really want to stay with Adidas, because they've been really good to me. Showed me, you know, a bit of support during the time when I was just starting to grow as a player. So what? What, what years are we talking? About? Uh, I, I think I was in, um, I think in '95 I became a sponsor player with Adidas. So '95, '96. I was, at, I reckon it was at the end of '96 when all this was happening. And um, yeah, so we went to battle with with the football club. So it was, look, at the end of the day, Carlton, I almost missed the game. And Carlton gave in just before the game. Carlton-Richmond, I almost pulled pulled the pin on because him. Because you wouldn't wear Nikes. Yeah, it, was, uh, yeah, it wasn't it was – wasn't so it hadn't changed then. It was more they've done the deal for the next season of 97. So this is 1996, if I'm right, or was it 97? It was around that sort of time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so my manager just, you know, we negotiated. We were ready with Adidas. Nike came with a big offer, and uh, we decided to stay with Adidas and said the club were going to stay with them. And so then, luckily, the club on the day of the game called us up and said, "Okay." So, so the
1: bargaining tool by the club was to say, "We're not going to play you." Is, yeah. that, is that what it was? I oh, know
2: we, we were looking to stand down and say, "If you don't agree, then we we won't." So that was your yeah, bargaining yeah, tool, yeah, yes, <laughs> not mine. It was my manager's call. Like I was embarrassed. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like I was really like afraid to even turn up to the club to even go and train at that time. But um, yeah, Adidas were. Yeah, unbelievable at that time. And so by us standing up to that, that meant every other player in the competition could then wear their own favoured boot and then all of a sudden all these sponsorship deals came out. So every, all these other players got deals because of the fight that I did. I should have got a percentage, boys, really, off <laughs> yes. the all. So they were all wearing different boots. But in saying that, in hindsight, the first year I ran out and everyone was in Nike boots at, at my football, at Carlin Football Club and I was in Adidas, it was awkward, you know what I mean? Because you talk about team... And it was that, that one time when I was running, thinking, oh, no, I've got the three stripes. So Everywhere I went, I had the Adidas runners, and all the other boys had to be in the Nike and that. So, you know, it was a little bit different. But anyway, I opened up the doors, and it was a sign of times of change. So, yeah, Adidas, I did commercials for them, you know, for a couple of years, and uh, they were a wonderful. Club. I went to head office, actually, in Germany, and uh, checked out the head office of Adidas. They made my own boot. I had the cooter on there, number 43. I never wore them. Because that would have, you know, put more, like, attention onto me and that's something
1: that I just didn't want, but I've kept them. So I've got those boots somewhere uh, at home. Nick Come Natanui, um, although it wasn't Kuta feed, he's out of Asfied Nike, mm. but West Coast sponsored for a very long time by Puma and Nick Nat got the Nike deal. And Nick's still sponsored by Nike, has been for a long time. But I remember there being a big uproar around them because Puma kicked up a stink, basically, because... Um, yeah. You know. They're paying
0: all this money, I guess. Yeah, correct,
1: case. correct. It was similar, similar circumstances, and same as Cuda. Nick said, "Well, I'm going to wear Nikes. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't don't confirm. We'll have to speak to Nick about this. I'm pretty sure at one stage they, I reckon they patched Nick's Nikes with a Puma yeah. logo over the top of the dike, over the front of the tick." At some stage That's yeah. how ridiculous it got I Which think, I, Yeah I don't know I think
2: Soss did that With his boots Because he was like He had the real wide foot And I think Adas Never had that boot That suited. And I think he might have Been in so One wear of those Nike's Yeah or whatever But then they put The three stripes on there, Yeah <laughs> I think
0: Ryan Davis Said that um one time That you know, he
2: forgot his boots
0: To a game and he only had his Adidas or whatever. And so they black market over
1: it. Yeah. I mean, it's a big game. deal. There's a lot of money coming into yeah. the club from sponsors. But sometimes, you know, deals got to go the way they got to go. Lee Montagna was the guy that kicked five and had 38 in wow, 2010. Oh, there you go. So you and Lee. Lee Montagna are at the top. Mate, elite, elite. Very <laughs> good. Talking about commercials. He so did some commercials for Adidas. Done some other commercials in your time. I don't know. Did I do? Suvlaki hut. Oh, that one. Talk now. us okay, through yeah. Suvlaki hut. Now I've had a look at this because we get we we we'll get into social media in a little bit where we get the fans to ask you the questions. There's A lot of talk about the Suvlaki mm. hut commercials. Yes. What What is the Suvlaki hut commercials? Oh, Even yeah, last night at
2: the sportsman's night, it was the, the questions that came out again. I was a smart asses. Right on ten pm, I said this is when the the, the full questions come out. You know, what's been said? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, bits, that's right. Sorry for being a fool, but I do want to know. What, what yeah, I was uh, I was the. Face of out so we added one of those franchises in Melbourne which didn't do too well eventually, but it started at like in a blaze of glory, like it just was f- phenomenal. When you we and first Angel, had, yeah, that? Angel, Angel, yes, and a couple of other my mates, and uh, uh, yeah, we did this commercial, but it was never after we finished it, it was never going to air like as a commercial because obviously it wasn't as good as what they or maybe they thought it was good, but everyone's telling them it wasn't that good, and so they put it on YouTube. And back then, YouTube wasn't big, but somehow went viral. And before I knew it, there was a million views on this thing. I'm getting phone calls from reporters, want to talk about it. It actually went to Greece in their most popular show there and played it as the worst commercial of all time, yes. So if I walk the streets of Greece, they might sit there and just start laughing at me. It got voted the worst, and literally the everyone. Worst of all time. Yeah. Literally everyone was there laughing in tears, and they, like, for at least a minute or two, they couldn't speak. So my mate recorded it and showed me it. I, I won a brown Logie uh, on ABC, got another one, worst commercial of all time. So it's just done the rounds, and uh, just when you think it fades away, I come on a podcast like this and it <laughs> reappears again. Sorry, so mate. it's something that I always look forward to in every
1: footy club. There's always some smarter. It says something about it. If you don't learn off these things, mate, you never get better, yeah, right? No, oh, right? And if they're not talking to your face, they're talking about you behind their back. So Correct, at least people can right. say it to you, right? No, I know I cop it too because people have. Cause it used to be a thing called um.
2: Uh, we used to think kids eat free, and then oh, the people turned around and said, "Um, like kids eat. Oh no, hang on." Eat kids for free or something like that. And it's just something silly. So people do their own little interpretations of it. And I've had many videos of that sent to me. So when you when you like other, you enjoy them as yes, well. yes, no, I always look forward. To, I know eventually it comes out again, yes. When you um throw the banana to the to the gorilla. We yes.
0: we actually um did you actually throw a real banana? Yeah, was it was uh, f- th- Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, like it was like remember. multiple green screens set up <laughs> yeah, Here you yeah. go Yeah
2: <laughs> So then it was a gorilla But I called it a monkey So I, I went <laughs> by the true. script though It was by the script So it wasn't me Like I questioned it And they just said No, nah, no, nah, do that so who would have thought, if it wasn't for YouTube, that thing would have just been in the archives, but unfortunately <laughs> it went on YouTube, and when there wasn't many other things around, it uh, went yeah, it was, viral all the way was overseas to Greece. Yeah.
1: Look, if that's your worst moment on television, you've had some moments of, I don't know, here I am, I'm back on the scene. You're one, Dancing with the Stars, yeah, and you're you're on Gladiator, which I think actually is more impressive for mine, big Gladiator <laughs> fan growing oh. up, Mike Whitney and the, and the boys. Oh yeah, that was yeah. good, that was good. Um, <coughs> Winning Dancing with the Stars, didn't know footballers could dance Yes and What I was thought, that process like?
2: Oh look, I, when I got the uh, call from Channel 7 um, And they said, oh could, we want you to be part of Dancing with the Stars I thought, oh who do I ring? I said, I'll ring mum and yes. said, mum, they want me to be part of Dancing with the Stars She said, you're doing it, it's my favourite show So I said, <laughs> alright mum, I'll do yes. it for you and, uh, yeah, I did it. But uh, I remember how nervous I was. Luckily, I had Andrew Gaze on the on the show because uh, – Oh, mate. <laughs> Yeah, he, he was funny because he thought, oh, grouse, i got kuda, And if uh, anyone's going to be a worse dancer than me, surely it's Kuda. Then when he started seeing me dance by week two or three, he's like, man, he's going, I was spewing on you, Kuda because you could dance, you know. Like, So I went there, never danced in my life. I wake up in the morning of the show and Koshy's got the odds for dancing with the stars and I thought I'd be maybe top three, you know. And I looked at top wasn't me, second, third, not me. I'm like, oh, geez, where am I? And look right down the bottom, I was the least favourite to win. So wow. I was in the bottom two, week five, week six. Week seven, the surprise elimination occurred. Chris Hemsworth, and we know him is a megastar. He would never come on your podca- podcast, would he?
1: Is that a challenge? Yeah, please. Well, we've had Kuda. Hemsworth, Hemsworth, he not uh, stepped dad down. To yeah, us. correct. I would say Hemsworth's below you, Kuda. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Get Chris, mate. That would be a good one. So anyway, he Use gets... His number? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> can't remember me. But uh, he was... Uh, so he gets eliminated, and then I'm in the bottom two... Week eight, Gazy, and he gets eliminated. Week nine, Tamsin and Lewis and myself, she gets eliminated. There I am in the grand final Dancing with the Stars. So from a guy that was uh, – my wife described me as an atrocious dancer. By the end of the series, I, got, I, I became okay. And so I got to the grand final, got the perfect score in my last dance. Uh, even Todd McKinney, who said I danced like a tree trunk three weeks before that, he gave me a 10. So all four gave me a 10. So I had the highest score and Ariane was a female chess champion and I uh, recently heard that she uh, passed away unfortunately uh, through a driving accident. Uh she was living in Europe, so oh, wow. That's yeah, terrible, very yeah, so that was devastating news when I heard that. And um so yeah, I went out there and the, I don't know, the mirror ball was there, then all of a sudden it felt like you know it was half an hour before they finally said,
1: and the winner is Kuda you know, and uh Did you get competitive? Did you did you go from oh I just want to just, you know, just just you know please mum to I want to win it? Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So you get along, but uh, yeah, I remember after week six, my dance partner Natalie, and she was phenomenal, and uh, she said, Kurt, if you want to continue on this series, we've got to train a little bit harder, because week six, what happened was week five, bottom two, so we we came to week six, I got the second highest score in the quick step, but I was still in the bottom two, that means the viewers weren't voting for me, so she said we have to actually start to train a little bit harder if we want to get through, but week seven, I was the favourite to go out that week but then we did a group dance and as we did the group dance I was the first one to pick up all the steps and knew the dance before anyone else and I'm always I was like done and dust and everyone's still like practicing and learning and so I think that changed the momentum of everything when the producers went hang on a second this guy can dance maybe a little a little not saying that he can dance and so that's when Chris Hemsworth went out so him and I were like shadow boxing each other while we were training and all that he's a great guy Chris and uh, he just didn't want to. Yeah, he didn't pick up the
1: steps. <laughs> two things I've taken out of that story: one, you have Chris Hemsworth's number, and I'm going to get it off you. Two, no, I don't. I don't. Two, two. We've asked Cooter about premierships, grand finals, captaining the club, um, all these moments about footy. You, you're, you know, every second of what happened on Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> and you love that more than your footy career. By the sounds of things. Oh, that so. could have been better than winning a premiership.
2: Yeah, well, not quite, but. Uh, I've said it that many times it's fourman nice so I do know it very very well that one but I've just I just completed the All-Stars event so I did it again last year we filmed it in September October in Sydney. And it uh, got uh, aired this year in February, so i didn 't quite do as well. I got to the semi final and didn 't get to the grand final. I it was six in there, not happy. I was very <laughs> I was actually I reckon more competitive this one here, <laughs> and uh, our three dancers are great, so I had Jessica Raffa who's uh, she's unbelievable like she 's you know a mother with two kids of so fit, and I thought mate, i 'll get her because you know i 'll work harder and, and mate, she just Hour after hour our training, she just, just kept going and going. She was just the perfect dance partner for me for this series. And although we didn't get to the finals, we still had a great time as we did it. Gladiator? Did I want to know. Someone? I want to know
1: about I want to know about Gladiator. Yeah, are you
0: friends with Vulcan? That's the one thing
1: I want to know. Yeah,
2: now Vulcan was the first series. They were the probably the real gladiators. We were right. the try hard ones. I think we that's
1: know. um Uncle Vulcan. Is oh, it really?
2: really? Yep. Wow. Well he was the he was the well known one, wasn't he? Everyone yep. knew him. Um we had Thunder. Thunder was Australia's strongest man. He won the Australian Strongest Man competition maybe 10 years in a row or something like <laughs> that. So he was 135 kilos of made made just uh, an enormous man. And um, the other Samoan we had was Tank, who was another great guy and one of my probably good mates there on uh, Gladiators. But Thunder wanted to make sure that he knew that, uh, that we knew that he was the strongest man in the Gladiators. And uh, as much as I got along with him really well, I had to wrestle him at one of the training sessions. And he... um. I was actually laying on my back and he was on top side so to stop him from getting me, you know, like locking me up or doing whatever that he wants to do. And then I thought oh, I was going all right. Then all of a sudden, it, it, one hand got pulled back and his knee was on lock my arm on the ground. So I'm like, oh, he's got two arms and I got one. <laughs> he's 135 kilos, I'm 100 kilos. I'm looking at him going, I'm in trouble here. He grabbed my neck. He got me into a headlock. I felt like my eyes were going to pop out of my head. I'm like, Thunder, please, let go, let go. <laughs> he tried to... Stra- like He was that aggressive. He wanted everyone to know that he was the man here. I was like, mate, I was happy to hand it over. He didn't even have to do that to me. Mate, you are the man. Just leave me alone. I remember that night, I, I literally, in, in all seriousness, I, I could not move from my pillow. I had to pick my hand up to move my head over the other side. And I, I went up to him next day. I said, I thought, well, mate, it's Thunder. You know, and like, he was just... Aggressive in any competitor, he just wanted to kill. You know what I mean? Like, he, I went out there for a little bit of fun, you know? That's all right, man. You know, he was like, Argh. so <laughs> it was an interesting experience. There was some really good athletes on, on the show, and we, of course, we came up against other great competitors. Unfortunately, because of the global financial crisis, it was an expensive show to run. They, they wanted to do two or three, you know, series of it, but it ended after the one.
1: Um, that's pretty much it from our side of things. I want to ask what you're doing post-footy. We, we know you've been, you know, doing uh, suvarky ads. Arts, <laughs> oh, school, I can that? Oh, thanks. No, so, yeah. but, no fit. What's yeah. Fit? I, I follow you on socials. i sent a bit of that, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. So about 11 years ago, I uh, I stumbled on a nutrition uh, called Herbalife, and uh, I was really unwell at that time, and the products really changed my life. So I was sleeping sometimes 11 hours a night. I'd get home from work, sleep on the couch. I had all these health issues, eating organic food, thinking I know what I'm doing. When to see doctors. I never really got any answers. The products changed my life and so I got really intrigued by the business and a, went to big events and started to open. I would go, wow, there was a lot of skeptics out there about it. I'm glad I didn't listen to them. But, uh, yeah, I've been on the products now for over 11 years. But Kuda fits more like we've got nutrition under control, we've got an exercise program, and, and what else is important is the mindset. And so over the 11 years helped a lot of people. And now I've started back up our Fit Clubs again. So our Fit Clubs, we get community-based, we get people there, we train them, we give them a recovery shake, and uh, they're delicious tasting uh, shakes. And then from there, uh, people get most incredible results. And so we do online challenges. We basically work, work with people in over 90 countries around the world like we do a lot of, you know, international uh, people too, which we can do online. So I love it. I guess I had to find myself after football when I was really lost in life in those first three years. I mean, the club didn't want me back. I wasn't really affiliated with AFL, working for a car finance company, really unhappy so uh, this really just, you know, brought life back to me again. Being my own boss, uh, it's a lifestyle business. I get to spend more time with the kids, travel when I want like this, go to WA when I need to as well. So it's been great. And so Fit, uh yes, I guess if people want to find me, they, they, they can just check me out on, on Instagram or, you know, my public Facebook account. They can reach out if they want to as well, I'll do a lot of business
1: online and uh, talk to a lot of people that way. I was going to ask, how does Dan sign up? You, this is you, mate. You need to sign up to CudaFit. Probably. You actually do. Probably is You're not the word t- I wanted to hear. Well, correct. 100% correct. Yeah. He came in the other day and he told me he's fasting. He's not eating. No, and then bad. three days later, he's sitting here having beers, having a couple of shelters with me. He hasn't quite started the fasting yet, have you? Hey? The well, fasting always, goes right for a little while. There's always
0: something on the horizon, like, oh, I've got this on the weekend, so I won't start. I've got Melbourne next week. Yeah, there's always something that's you know, yeah. stopping me.
2: Well, what would you prefer, fasting or eating five little meals throughout the day? Um... Just, just answer the man.
1: Like five, <laughs> five meals. Okay, good boy. <laughs> well, well trained. <laughs> All right, we're going to get into this one, Cuda. This is the last part of uh, this long uh, podcast that so we appreciate you coming in and doing with us, mate. Um, Scocial media. That's right, not social. Social. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I thought you would. I like I, I, I'm surprised you haven't heard about it. Actually, it's one of the greatest podcasting segments ever to grace podcasting land globally. Similar to Cuda Fit, really. <laughs> social media, where we get the fans to ask you the questions. So. We put some little po- social posts up. They get to put some in, submit them. We ask the best of the best. So, here we go. Steve-O Stales.
2: Uh, did you have a man up against Sauce, and who took the fruit? Oh, SOS, I had many times of training. Uh, obviously, early on, he did. Uh, later on, it was a good battle. The sauce was good. He was a champion. He... Um, I mean he wore a lot of Long sleeve jumpers Do you have skinny arms Yeah he didn't have A great physique But he didn't really Do much weight For how strong he was Really he didn't really Enter the weight room much But whereas I Spent a lot of time in there Yes Um, Prox underscore
0: I'm going to just Read this as it's written Mm. Kuda
2: Um, Love watching
0: your work uh, When I was a kid uh, with the big rivalry between Djakovic and Kerry, I have to ask, who's the hardest defender you played against and how would you prepare for them?
2: Oh a defender. I, I know Stephen Critic was was tough. He came from fullback and came to me on the wing and just he didn't play footy. He's uh, yeah. And he was just don't even touch the footy, just manhandled Cuda. <laughs> and that was just that wasn't a fun day for me because the ball was in even if he could even grab it, he just would rather Hold me You know I was like Just grab the ball mate Like it's yours Take it And then he didn't <laughs> want it So he was a tough one uh,
1: Seb uh,
0: What uh, what Carlton player Do you highly rate At the moment And what similarities Can you see In the 2022 team And the mid 90s team
2: Oh okay well, I mean Cripper uh, and Curnow And uh, there's a Big list of players I think now And Cripper leads The boys The troops so well So you know, I have a lot Of admiration for him But just to see Charlie do what he does As well And they're both Great guys similarities I so look our 95 team was full of just absolute you know superstars and it was a great era but I think this is the start of something special to come and so this could be a very good era for the Carlton Football Club. And these boys here who haven't experienced what I have maybe get a little bit of a taste now of what the real Carlton Football Club is all about. But if they win a premiership, they're going to see
1: the full extent of it. And Logan Street down in Carlton will be back on again. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, correct. Now, um, yeah, I think you're going to like this one, given Cuda Fit. Uh, we've just spoken about taxi driver Lebby. Um, <clears throat> how good was the food at the club with Camparelli,
0: Cuda Fides, Cristal, Hanna
2: and Silvani <laughs> families around? <laughs> Very good. My mum uh, just loved when I invited um, the players around to go and eat at uh, at her house. So she would prepare the big pasta and the bowls and homemade pizza and all that stuff. And the boys enjoy coming around. So I had many of the boys around. I know we went to mills once. We weren't even allowed to grab the plates and put them uh, in the sink. It was all done by the the women in the house. So a little bit of a different culture there. I don't think I'm not sure if that exists anymore nowadays. So it is a little bit different. Uh, so there was a, a lot of food going on. I know my mum, back in the day when the Cullen recruiters used to come along too, she would always make them home, homemade pizza. So I think they came a lot of the time just to eat that. And <laughs> when I did you. work experience at the football club, mum made it early in the morning. So steaming pizza into the bus outside my house, into the train station of Thomastown, Thomastown all the way to the city, from the city I took the Tram, all the way to Carlton Football Club and Jess was coached then and Soss was uh, around the club then. And so by the time it was mid-morning, all the pizza
1: was gone. It was supposed to be for lunch and uh, the boys just, just, they'd never seen anything like it. (laughs) (laughs) Historic underscore football underscore collection.
0: Uh, Are you a fan of a player from Carlton always having... Uh, sorry, are you a fan of a player from Carlton
1: always having the woof attached to them? Woof. <laughs> There's yeah. someone right now. Yeah, who, Adam Sard. It's Sard, right? Yeah, I was at the, at the Carlton West Coast game and I was well, like, you what? didn't know. Well, I, had, I hadn't seen Carlton play live right, and you okay. can't really pick it up on the coverage. All right. And the Carlton fans here in Perth, yeah. every time he got it, woof. Yes. A, so is that, because is that, it was Ange Christian, right? Yeah. Initially it was Val Valperovic. Right. He was the original one. The 1980s Val
2: was. He had a big kick, and then Ange came along, and it was woof. I mean, Ange's kick was woof. I mean, we're talking about a penetrating kick that covered the lines, and all Ange used to do was nod his head like go left to right, and I'll just be watching his head going that way, and then I'll just run that way, and I knew the ball would go into a spot that it was almost impossible for the opposition to spoil. So some players sort of put it in the wrong spot, and Ange just knew he was just. 30, 40, 50, 60-metre kicks like hitting the target. So Adam Saad's the new one. Unfortunately, Saad is an incredible kick, but he does those 15 to 20-metre kicks that doesn't quite have the wolf effect of what Ange did when he used to cover the lines. But Sardi's the next one coming through. So Adam Saad grew up next door to Ange, basically. So I had, really? Yeah, we had a kick with him when he was younger as well because I was 200 metres. I, I moved to West Brunswick and Ange, you know, six months later comes 200 metres away from me. I'm like, Ange, I need you to stay away from me. <laughs> So Adam Sudd. Anyway, Adam Sudd grew up next to him, and so watch him as a young kid. He was a, he was a freak back then as well, and so he spent a lot of time more with Ange because then I moved out of there again, away from Ange again. You know, I'm hoping he doesn't come. <laughs> He's looking around now. Actually, I'm saying Ange, no, stay away. <laughs> That's why you're in WA. That's why I'm driving around Mount Horfe.
1: Yeah, yeah. oh,
2: no <laughs> doubt, it, Billy Brown. This thing's always uh, in my pocket or something. Every time I'm around, goes, Where's Angie in your pocket, Tudor? <laughs> like, oh,
1: Billy, come <laughs> on now, yeah. Billy. Uh, Billy Gallagher, 91. This will finish us off. Uh,
0: what did your diet look like to ha- uh, What did your diet look like to have those monstrous arms in your playing days?
2: Oh mate, we just ate whatever we wanted, and, mate. Seriously, ate and Mum cooked food like uh, yeah, it was Andre's and the mains, and yeah, I, I was pretty privileged. I mean, we trained hard, but I I just I love food and just ate a lot of it, and so it wasn't. I
1: never had a special diet, man. I just was just like that.
0: I'm uh, on that one at, at the yeah, moment as cu- well. So currently, so also on, the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on <laughs> the same
1: diet. Uh, tip the scales over too much, Kuna, That's yes. it from us, mate. No worries. Appreciate your time. Um, thanks for listening to Back Chat. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors: Whippersnapper, Blue Bet, Shelter. Margaret River Roasting Co. And leadable Cameras. We've um, got a guest pack coming to you. We're coming to Melbourne next week, Kuda. So there's a little clue for anyone listening still that, you know, this magic of TV and yes. podcasts here that uh, that's when we've recorded it. We're coming to Melbourne next week. Got a uh, guest pack for you, Um if you want to listen to us, you know where to find us, backchatpodcast.com.au, on socials, backchat double underscore. You can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube. You'll find out how big Cooter's hands really are. <laughs> we'll see you next week.